It's Monday, August 1st, 2022. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, the first major study of its kind sheds new light on the evolution of all you mutants who can digest dairy. Plus, engineers at MIT have developed a wearable sticker that can see inside your body. And was George Jetson born over the weekend? Here's some cool stuff for your ride home. I am lactose intolerant. Like my brother and several of my cousins, I somehow developed this trait in early adulthood. We all grew up knowing the joys of ice cream and soft cheeses, of dipping cookies into milk, and eating entire pizza pies in one sitting like unhinged ninja turtles. And then those simple joys were ripped away from us. Fortunately, milk has been going out of style for about a decade or so. Alternative milks and plant-based food options are all the rage, which means I can have a slightly worse or sometimes surprisingly better version of most dairy indulgences at an elevated cost. Because of that fad, however, it can be tough to find any real science and data on lactose intolerance. Searches for answers are bloated with pseudoscientific blogs and trendy diet pages, And part of the glut of hard science, it turns out, is not just that fads have taken over the algorithms, but that there are actually a lot of questions about lactose intolerance still remaining in the scientific community. Now, my basic understanding for years has been that humans are naturally lactose intolerant. Lactase persistence, or the ability to digest lactose, developed around the time people in Europe started dairy farming, about 10,000 years ago. But the lactase enzyme that enables a person to break down milk sugar did not evolve in humans equally across the world. Today, only about a third of the world can actually easily digest lactose. Most of the population, in Africa and South Asia especially, are lactose intolerant to some degree. And almost everyone begins life being lactase persistent, like every mammalian species. But after being weaned, most mammals stop producing the lactase enzyme needed to digest milk sugar. We're the only species that continues consuming milk into adulthood, and which consumes the milk of other species. Now that makes it sound a little weird when you put it that way, but we're also the only species that spends entire days sitting in chairs we invented and talking at virtual versions of each other through a screen. Anyways, my point is, if you are an adult human who can digest lactose, you're kind of the weird one, actually. Now, my real point is that there are a few things that don't add up about this evolution of lactase persistence in modern humans. And a recent study published last week in the journal Nature might have the explanation. The study was a collaboration between over a 100 scientists with expertise ranging from archaeology and genetics to epidemiology. Scientific American says it's the first major effort to really quantify the forces that shaped lactase persistence. And their finding? People actually were consuming dairy in those early dairy farming days thousands of years ago, but most of them hadn't developed the lactase enzyme yet. In fact, the enzyme took quite a long time to evolve. Doing so in fits and starts and independently in different ancient human populations around the world. Lactase persistence wouldn't become widespread for thousands of years because, quoting Scientific American, it was beneficial enough to influence evolution only during occasional episodes of famine and disease, end quote. Episodes of famine and disease. 
That's the only time that lactase persistence really came in handy in a big way for ancient humans. But why? Not because they needed the extra nutrients from milk and so added it to their diets during times of famine. I mean, remember, most of them couldn't actually digest it, so if anything, drinking milk could be losing them some nutrients. Rather, milk may have already been a staple in the diet, even when many people were intolerant. It's just that the symptoms of intolerance for many people aren't that bad. So people put up with it. But during periods of famine or disease, those symptoms weren't so benign anymore. Co-author Mark Thomas, an evolutionary geneticist at University College London, said of the symptoms of consuming dairy while lactose intolerant, quote, If you're healthy, you get a bit of diarrhea, you get cramps, you fart a lot, it's unpleasant, but you're not going to die, end quote. Right, it's unpleasant and inconvenient, but it's not like Kenan Thompson's super-dude character from All That, whose lactose intolerance made him the target of villains such as Josh Server's Milkman and Yo-Girl, an anthropomorphic cup of yogurt played by Kel Mitchell. When attacked by their dairy-based weapons, Super-Dude would lose all of his superpowers and fall into a thick malaise, which was only cured when all traces of dairy were physically removed from his skin. Fortunately, that's not how it works in the real world. But, quoting Scientific American, the researchers propose that the consequences of milk drinking among lactose intolerant people long ago would have been much more severe for those who were in ill health as a result of famine or infection. Fluid loss through diarrhea contributes to deaths through malnutrition and infection, especially in places with poor sanitation. The researchers' model found that lactase persistence was more likely to occur in ancient populations exposed to animal pathogens and famine than in those exposed to other factors examined. The team proposes that natural selection for lactase tolerance was turbocharged during such periods, when lactose intolerant individuals would have been more likely to die than people who lacked the suddenly beneficial gene variation, end quote. The team figured this out first by analyzing milk fat left behind on thousands of pottery fragments from across Europe and creating a database of milk consumption over the last nine millennia. Quoting the New York Times, Thomas and his colleagues analyzed DNA harvested from 1,786 ancient skeletons found across Europe and neighboring regions. They looked for a mutation that kept the lactase gene switched on during adulthood. The oldest mutation they found dated back about 6,600 years ago, but in their collection of ancient remains, it stayed rare until 4,000 years ago. For those 2,600 years, in other words, Europeans were consuming milk despite almost none of them being able to make lactase as adults, end quote. Now, to make sense of that, the team turned to epidemiologist George Davy Smith, who's conducted a number of studies on the UK's supremely useful Biobank, a huge database of health data on hundreds of thousands of volunteer Brits. Using Biobank data, the researchers found that people who are lactose intolerant consume roughly the same amount of milk as people who are not. Now, this tracks with my experiences. I am personally on the far end of getting really quite sick from dairy, so I truly avoid it. I can take a lactate pill for small quantities of dairy, like a slice of thin crust pizza, but you'll never catch me drinking a glass of real milk. By contrast, most people I encounter who claim to be lactose intolerant still eat ice cream, drink milk, and indulge in the delectable wonder of a good brie, knowing they'll get a bit sick later. 
Now, this behavior completely confounds me personally, but I hear it enough that I would agree with the findings from this biobank analysis. Most people with lactose intolerance still eat dairy products. Now, further, while consuming dairy might make some of us a bit ill or gassy in the moment, the researchers also found that lactose intolerant people do not die at a higher rate or have weaker bones, and they have just as many children as people with the lactase enzyme. Now, applying that finding to the evidence of ancient European humans, it seems likely that they really were consuming dairy even before most of them were able to easily digest it. Further, the Times adds that some of them might have lessened the painful effects of milk sugar by fermenting it into cheese or turning it into butter. But still, as famine and disease reared their ugly heads, those who did eventually develop the lactase enzyme were better off. They wouldn't have had the extra symptoms of diarrhea on top of their other symptoms, meaning they wouldn't have experienced other diarrhea-caused illnesses, like dehydration, and further would have been able to replenish their fluid levels with milk. It's a pretty solid theory, with a good deal of evidence to support it, but the researchers and outside scholars aren't ready to give it a definitive stamp of approval just yet. They do say, however, that it gives us a better idea of where to look for more answers, and especially where to begin in investigating the evolution, or not, of lactase persistence in other parts of the world, like much of Africa and South Asia. For now, if you've got the lactase enzyme, enjoy your next scoop of ice cream with the smug satisfaction that your ancestors were the strapping survivors of the Neolithic era. If you've ever gotten an ultrasound, or been with someone when they got one, you know it's a whole process. You have to go to a specialized office where a doctor uses a wand or a probe connected to a bulky machine to safely and non-invasively see your internal organs. But engineers at MIT have just designed what's basically a sticker that can provide continuous ultrasound imaging for 48 hours. You and your doctor could get a constant feed of data over a two-day period while you go about your day as usual, instead of getting just a few minutes in the examination room with your doctor actively holding the ultrasound wand. Quoting MIT News, To image with ultrasound, a technician first applies a liquid gel to a patient's skin, which acts to transmit ultrasound waves. A probe or transducer is then pressed against the gel, sending sound waves back into the body that echo off internal structures and back to the probe, where the echoed signals are translated into visual images. The MIT's new ultrasound sticker produces higher resolution images over a longer duration by pairing a stretchy adhesive layer with a rigid array of transducers. This combination enables the device to conform to the skin while maintaining the relative location of transducers to generate clearer and more precise images, says co-author Liu Wang. The device's adhesive layer is made from two thin layers of elastomer that encapsulate a middle layer of solid hydrogel, a mostly water-based material that easily transmits sound waves. Unlike traditional ultrasound gels, the MIT's hydrogel is elastic and stretchy. End quote. Case in point, they said that the stickers maintained adhesion and continued to capture changes when their volunteers jogged, biked, and performed other activities. The stickers currently have to be connected to instruments that translate the reflected sound waves into images, but the researchers are already at work to make wireless versions, which one day could be something a patient took home from the doctor's office or bought at a pharmacy. The team is also working on developing software algorithms to interpret and diagnose the imagery 
surgery. The stickers could be used for monitoring internal organs for potential medical issues, as well as monitoring the progression of tumors, the development of fetuses in the womb, or even more commercial uses like knowing when a muscle gets to the point of overuse when working out. Senior author Sean Hojao calls it a new era of wearable imaging. You might have heard that Wikipedia over the weekend had to freeze edits on its recession page because so many people were going in and inserting their own definitions of the word. Editing disputes are generally handled by Wikipedia editors on a discussion page where they're encouraged to reach a consensus. Now, part of the issue this time was an influx of new first-time editors not following the site's guidelines. These new users were particularly interested in inserting certain definitions of recession following denials from multiple Biden administration officials recently that we are currently in a recession here in the United States. The thinking is basically edit the Wikipedia page to align or disagree with that assertion, and then people will go to Wikipedia's definition to try to prove whether or not the administration was correct. But the Wikipedia page for recession is not the only one that got locked down from editing over the weekend. So did George Jetson's. The protagonist of Hanna-Barbera's 1960s Space Age cartoon became the subject of intense debate online when some pointed out that yesterday, Sunday, July 31st, was his birthday. The original source appears to be a screenshot of a since-removed claim on Wikipedia that the character's original date of birth was indeed July 31st, 2022. But the problem is, in the wide canon of the Jetsons, and I don't say that facetiously, the series had primetime and Saturday morning runs in the 60s, as well as a reboot in the 80s, an early 90s feature film, and a weird WWE crossover movie in 2017. But through all of that, we never actually learn George Jetson's birth date. We don't even really learn his age, or the year that the whole show takes place. As Gizmodo and AV Club point out, the show is generally believed to take place in the year 2062 because it was frequently described as taking place a century into the future, and the show first debuted in 1962. And in Season 1, Episode 15, George Jetson is told he might live to be 150. To that, he responds that he has 110 years left, so he can be assumed to be 40 years old at the start of the series, which would indeed mean that he would have been born in 2022, making him, as AV Club points out, a COVID baby. But AV Club presents this ironclad argument, quote, in 2017's The Jetsons and WWE, Robo-WrestleMania, we are explicitly told that Big Show has been frozen in ice for 100 years, while George, Jane, Judy, and their boy Elroy do not appear to have aged a day. Now, sure, we have evidence up above that Jetson people are longer lived, but there's nothing to suggest that their children don't age at something approaching a regular rate. The only conclusion we can thus draw is that the Jetsons have been running on a Marvel Comics-style sliding timescale all this time, and that the series always takes place 100 years from now, meaning that George Jetson could not have been born yesterday because George Jetson's birthday will always be 60 years in the future from any given present, 
And thus, Zeno's paradox style, we realize that George Jetson will never actually be born. End quote. Trippy, man. But alright, even if we get how and why enough people connected the dots that George Jetson's character was most likely born in 2022, how did someone come up with July 31st? No idea. Looking at the history of edits on the Wikipedia page, someone has been trying to mess with George's birthday at least as far back as November 2021. It seems to be some kind of long con. Maybe someone is trying to drown out the noise about today being both Harry Potter and J.K. Rowling's birthdays with some good old-fashioned fake internet points and nostalgia for retrofuturism. In which case, well done, Mystery Samaritan. Alright, well that's going to be it for me for today. This show was produced by Ride Home Media. I'm Jackson Bird, and I will talk to you again tomorrow. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.